Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Checkoed Flag. That's supplied by Christopher Fonseca on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined, as so often I am, by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Not a bad result for you and I. Nope, I'm looking forward to being on the Unbearable Host podcast, which we are about to start now. We have to be very, very careful, I think, this week. I mean, this is a great night for Netflix. I'm hoping they were in the paddock somewhere, already looking forward to Drive to Survive, uh, Bahrain edition, or Sakir edition. Entirely true story. Just this very day, my wife heard from a friend who, watching Drive to Survive, wanted to know where she could go and learn more about Formula One. And I believe they might even be watching this very live stream Drive to Survive is the absolute bomb when it comes to new Formula One uh, fans. No, absolutely. We noticed it. The first time Drive to Survive came out the following March, we had a bunch of new fans coming in, particularly from the States as well. So if you have any new fans uh, that get um, drawn into Formula One from Drive to Survive, please tell them that Missed Apex Podcast is a nice supplement to their F1 experience. Now, uh, as we know, skipping to the end a little bit, Sergio Perez won the Grand Prix. Uh, Esteban Ocon uh, uh, came second in the Grand Prix. Uh, So it might be tempting to tune out today because you think, oh, uh, spanners and trumpets are going to be absolutely unbearable. But we have decided that even though, you know, the, the podium ended out that way with Perez and Ocon and Stroll on the podium. Actually, the the majority, the bulk of the weekend, Matt, was a battle of intrigue between Valtteri Bottas and uh, and George Russell. So a lot of the show is going to focus on that. We're obviously going to talk about a very intriguing qualifying session as well. And we've got a nice juicy whose fault is this to start off with. Lovely. I like this plan. Mm. But um, you will have to forgive us slightly if we end up 
going a bit fanboy because, you know, from my point of view, being a Lewis Hamilton supporter over the years has been the only successful sporting fandom I've ever had. Uh, For a bit of context, you know, I've been a Colchester United fan most of my life and UK listeners will understand what that means. I've been an Essex County cricket fan for a long, long time. I was an England cricket fan in the 90s, but then not when they got good. Same with English football as well. So my sporting fandom has been like midfield pain. And watching Perez, having cheered him on since he was a dream team with Kobayashi at Sauber, uh, being gutted about his years at McLaren, this has been a nearly decade-long journey of wishing Perez the best and cheering him on. So you're going to have to forgive me just, just a little bit, just a little bit of unbridled joy. I think we can do that. I think if you look at the podium today and think about how long it's been since uh, we've seen a, an entirely non-Mercedes podium, I mean, it was just, it, regardless of how they got there, it was exciting. And I know you can make the pink Mercedes joke all you want, but it was a great day for Formula One that all the madness ensued and we got the result we did. And it was exciting to see Perez first win. Alcon's first podium, stroll back up there, and, and literally the entire midfield, the focus of the whole end of the race. And I'm going to shout out Carlos Sainz, too, mm. because, oh my goodness, what a race he had as well. Obviously, we had Monza as well, but I think that is a testament to what a fantastic season we've had, uh, possibly the most podium finishes I think we've had for uh, for a long, long time. But we're going to get into the guts of all of this. Uh, just know it is not just going to be me and Matt gloating and for and fawning for the whole of the race review we're still an independent podcast we're still in the podcasting shed we're still here with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute even when it's an hour after the race has finished we might be wrong but we're first We're also joined in the shed by local radio Formula One subject matter call-in expert Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well. Feeling um feeling a bit naked because that race was so exciting. I ended up pulling all my facial hair out. You so sh- um, I'm trying just to cover, and I'd like to try to get into the nitty gritty of it and make some semi coherent sense of it during this podcast. So, um, audio viewers, you're fine. I would like to apologise to the video viewers at the alarm. Uh, that seeing your naked face may cause. We've never seen it before on Mist Apex. <laughs> X-rated. Um, and what did you make of this? Uh, we'll talk about it in more detail, but first impressions of the shortened layout. There was much talk about it being a kind of oval. It was far from that. I I, I thought it was brilliant, and I wish we would go back there again. I thought it was fantastic, tricky, um, de- simple, but deceptively tricky as well. Um, loads of mistakes, loads of overtaking. I think it had everything that we needed. Who needs corners? Yeah, who needs corners? Uh, we're also joined by Danish TV man, Christian Pedersen. Christian, hello. Hello. What is this cricket thing you talk about? It's like baseball, but without the general despair and hot dogs. Uh, I might know what you talk about. Well, I'm having a good evening. I, I love the fact the fact that we are on this close to the actual race. It makes it feel like it's still race time. It does. Uh, and it's a, I love this race. Lots to talk about. And there's your panel, myself, Spanners Ready. You can call me Richard, I guess, if you want to. Matt, two rumpets, Kyle Power and Christian 
Pedersen. Uh, so we had a shortened layout for the track. Uh, before we get into that, I will say we are not going to be saved by Steve Amy's fantastic video edit tonight. So anything terrible or litigious you do is going to be saved forever on our YouTube channel. Hello to our live stream. Hello to Eric, uh, Igo, Gust, EJ. Ah, oh, it's going by too fast, Matt. It's going by too fast. What did you make of this track layout? My first impression, honestly, is that it was a unique challenge in F1, and I, I, I think I loved it. Well, I mean, you know, we could always go woulda, coulda, shoulda. What if it was just Mercedes dominance all the way? But we didn't get that race. And the fact of the matter is, with just four braking zones, and the DRS, I think we should call it Indy Cross, because it was kind of like an Indy Oval race crossed with a Formula One race with kind of the best bits of both, in my opinion. Uh, last last time we talked about the TV perspective of uh, the Formula One race, and this short track actually did a thing for, for the TV broadcast as well, because they crossed the finishing line, and then some something happened, and then they crossed the finishing line again. And from a TV perspective, that is... That was that a lap? Was that a lap? And it just <laughs> that feeling just kept up, and I, I think it was like uh, lap fifty something. We got a virtual safety car, and whew, you could breathe. It felt like that just watching it, and uh, that says a lot about the TV production uh, side of it as well. I think uh, so. From from that point of view, we can learn something from a short track. I mean, Carl, it's a good point because it really was like just it was nonstop. It was just it, from qualifying, even practice, and then all the way into the race. It really was intense. Oh, yeah. And you could see the intensity of that and how quickly teams have to react because it's such a short lap by Merck spectacularly dropping the ball. But also, something on the many, many laps thing is if you were allowed fans, that would be the race I'd want to go to. You get to see them come past 84 times. Yes. You go to Spa, you get to see them come past 44 times. So you get almost double the amount of laps. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of these short circuits. I've not been privileged to go to many live tracks. The best experience was the Silverstone Grand Prix in 2013 that I went to. And, and boy, it wants to be good for the price. Uh, but even then, you know, you watch them come through the village and farm complex. And then for the rest of the time, you're watching the monitors, you're watching the TV. And then and then like after like three quarters of the lap, they pop back up for three corners and then disappear. I mean, you've got a good point. There's probably one point at the Bahraini Grand Prix where you can see half the action, I guess, from from turn one to turn six or, or whatever. Yeah, the people in the crowd are not going to know which way which way to look. Mm. And it reminds me of when I used to marshal on Brands Hatch Indy Circuit for the Superbikes, and it was just non-stop. So probably bad for the officials and the timekeepers, but fantastic for the fans. Well, Matt, um, we've got to start setting the scene here before we get to the race. We're talking pre-race and then qualifying. I don't think we've ever seen a, a more intensely watched FP1, FP2 than this session. There was people waiting with knives out it was all about hamilton somehow even though he wasn't there uh, i hope he has a speedy recovery we hear he has symptoms we hear he's not feeling particularly brilliant about stuff about not about not being there which is understandable yet somehow in all the practice the social media f1 twitter reddit facebook all of that was dominated by the question of how does russell do in in hamilton's car and and i had this horrible feeling that the weekend would be defined by russell not winning not doing well and therefore being written off and he's terrible and that's the end and that proves that Hamilton's a deity, which makes no sense, or him winning and then everyone saying, well, there you go. It's it's just the car. And I stand by my initial premise that it is impossible to make any of those conclusions from one race. 
my favorite thing is using Twitter logic after this week, and we can now conclude that Mercedes will never win a race without Hamilton, and therefore she get he should get a hundred million billion dollars to race with them forever, so they can always win no matter what. I mean, it's just madness. You were never going to get the only thing you were going to get if you were lucky is a sense of how Russell would do at the sharp end of the field. Yes, and I I will sit here later on when people want to slate. Uh, Valtteri for his performance today and explain to you why you probably shouldn't. And Albon, we can have that same conversation because there's always more underneath the surface. The only ones who can really make a, the only ones with the data to make a decision are the teams. All we can look at is the broad brush and get an idea from. And that's really, and I couldn't agree with you more as a result, annoyingly. I know we're not talking about the result right now, but uh, if 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 Russell would have won this race, that would have been one scenario. If Bottas would have won this race, that would have been a not so good scenario for Russell. And either neither of those cases would have been good for anyone. Uh, what happened today maybe is what was best for everyone because we know Russell was yep. faster, <laughs> uh, but he didn't smear it in Bottas's face, and we got a great winner. So, I mean, maybe everyone wins here. Maybe. Carl Power. Yeah. Um, in, well, of course, in some people's eyes, it was, there was going to be no winners here. There was always going to be somebody who would make a crazy, crazy claim uh, uh, about something. I think ultimately Formula One was the winner here. We got to see an absolute bit of everything, but you can't draw conclusions from one race, but you can get some pretty strong suggestions. And uh, boy, <laughs> did George give us a strong suggestion today that he needs to be in that second Mercedes. Now, I absolutely agree. And on Friday, it looked magnificent. But uh, I think the knives came out way too quickly after Friday. People who I think never normally watch a Friday practice and perhaps don't sit there as intensely as we might, um, sitting there trying to tease out every little bit of detail. And then, and then, of course, looking to media outlets to explain to us what that Friday practice meant. Simply saw George Russell at the top of the timesheets um, in F1, FP1 and FP2 and declared that anyone could win in that car. Bottas is terrible, whatever conclusion they wanted to draw. Uh, side notes, really, footnotes in history. In FP1, Bottas had uh, had been revealed or had declared that he had some floor damage. Uh, and then in FP2, it was really interesting, Matt, because this brings up track limits that we talked about on the Patreon live stream, where Bottas was up. He looked the faster driver in FP2, but then was falling foul of that turn six track limit. So I, I want to be clear about something. Up till and including qualifying, there's zero question that Bottas was faster than Russell. He was faster in FP2. He had his laps deleted. He didn't have the car under him the way that Russell did because, as, as I suspected when we, we discussed it in our um, patron stream, they were probably using Bottas to do the bulk of the scout work just to yeah. really get George bedded into the car. So all the aero runs, the testing of parts, they were probably much more focused on ha making sure Russell had a clean run at it than they were getting Botas up to speed because he's the veteran. And even in qualifying, if you go back and you watch between sessions, what you will see is that in every session as they went through, they were using the data from Botas to make Russell go faster, which is why we saw such a nice tight margin. Now, this takes nothing away from Russell because he was taking that information on board and processing it and using it in real time. But the fact of the matter is, without Botas, he would not have been going as fast in that Mercedes. 
Yes, and also the... just worth noting Sorry. quickly, uh, Christian, just for people who look at those lap times and maybe have not quite grasped that it was a shorter lap, um, therefore, you know, a tenth uh, or two tenths on a normal track, it's the equivalent of like four tenths. My rough thing was double it. I know the lap time wasn't quite double, but given there were so few braking zones as well, I was just trying to look at it in qualifying and practice and I was going, right, three tenths is six tenths. And that helped me put it in perspective. But you should also not forget that driving a Formula One car or whatever car fast is one thing. And all these guys can drive cars fast, but mm. driving a car to perfection takes months and months of learning the car. Just look at Ocon. I mean, he prevailed today, but it has taken him almost a year to get up to speed at Ricciardo's. And he's not a, yeah. a slow driver. He's nope. a fast driver. And that, I mean, Russell just getting in there and already... Friday picking up the pace and being there with Botas, I mean, not fitting in the car. I, I think he outdrove Botas in every way this weekend. Okay, Kyle, interesting. Let's not get to the race. Let's stay with practice and qualifying. He's right. Christian is absolutely right. Now, there was some suggestion that George Russell got a toe in Q3. Fine, 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 fine. I don't want to take anything away from him. But even without the toe, we're still, still talking within a tenth with no practice in that car he has had f1 practice this year but oh my god like not everyone is doing that this season not everyone who jumps into that car is doing that in qualifying first time out i know it was incredible and the fact that regardless if he had a toe or not um regardless the fact that he was that close to bottas almost straight from the off he didn't Amazing. fit in the car is just testament to how adaptable he is and how well he's got his head around the whole the whole thing. So I've basically, um, I've basically, I've basically said um, at the start of the weekend, if he can get anywhere near what the delta is from Max to Albon, then he's doing incredibly well. But he got more than close to that, and he beat it. So I think George, yeah, incredible. Even from the practices, the fact he got so close to Bottas, I don't know whether it reflects badly on Bottas or very good on George. Okay, first let's just dispel one myth. Let's have none of this. Oh, no, we feel so sorry for George with his massive feet. Oh, look at me. I'm a big, tall New Northern European. I'm more likely to get promoted and be selected for leadership roles. Oh, no, you've got to pity me. I can't fit in a race car. No! Tall people, you do not get to take away the one short person thing where it's an advantage. No one gives me a stepladder for basketball. I don't care what size your feet are. Get in the car and deal with it. It is a major thing. Not being comfortable is a major thing and it can hurt. I know this from doing endurance karting and having to fit into a seat too small for me because my teammates are too skinny. It's certainly not because I'm too big <laughs> at all. Um, I've had that before and it's awful. Driving to drive and you're hurting, you're aching, you're getting blisters and bruises. So I'd, I'd imagine this could be feeling pretty sore in the morning. So I think that's a very valid, valid point. Uh, okay, so um, Christian, I don't know if you know this, but we have Super Chat in our live chat room and when they give us money to request things... You know, we we can't help it. And uh, Eric Davis has yeah, said, I saw it. I'm really going to need to hear Christian <laughs> say, all right, all right, all right, in his best Matthew McConaughey voice. Yeah, that is, I, I was trying to pick, where have I seen you before? You're a Danish Matthew McConaughey. That is a massive compliment. But can I, can I just, uh, can we save it for maybe last in the podcast? We then can. people will stay tuned. Yes. At least for the all right, all right, all right, which I will say in another voice. Let's keep it rolling then. Uh, trumpets, the rookies, I think, all um, gave a good showing of themselves. And I, I know earlier in the week you were saying to me, hey, it's a new track. It's new to everyone. 
which is in the rookies kind of uh, benefit. It's to their benefit because everyone is having to learn a new layout. So I'm counting Russell as a rookie because he's rookie to Mercedes. But also we had Aitken come in. We had Fittipaldi come in and they neither of them looked at C. No, and, and actually, of, of the two of them, eight can really, really impress me because uh, were it not for a wee bit of oversteer on his final lap, he would have bested Latifi in qualifying. And unlike Russell, I, I get the sense that he has he's probably not had the same kind of familiar, familiarity with Mercedes and its systems. I know Russell's actually driven uh, the Mercedes before. They had him in for a test, I know, within the last year. And um, Russell has been racing Formula One at every race. Aitken has absolutely positively not. And that was the point that I wanted to make to our friend Christian. The difference between Ocon and Russell to me is that Ocon spent a year out of the sport, which is also why I'm looking forward to seeing what Alonso does when he comes back. Because I think that could be way more fun than anyone has yet anticipated. So I'm not much sure. True. I'm not sure how much more we're going to talk about Aitken today. So I just want to get out there that if nothing else... He, he looked every bit the Formula One driver, spin aside, results aside. Um, the counter argument for any Latifi fans, there's Latifi fans, right? They exist. That's a thing. They will say, well, Latifi didn't have the bit of oversteer. Therefore, that's why he, he qualified better. Kyle. But once again, the same thing with George and uh, Valtteri. It was the same thing with, um, with Bacon and, and Latifi. Bacon fit right at home, did a very solid, very calm. He was very composed in his interviews and he genuinely looked quite disappointed when he hadn't beat his teammate and again the fact that he's that close to the point of beating him shows what an amazing job he did Fittipaldi had a bit more of a rough time of it but he was but he still did an admirable job he wasn't throwing it off the road left right and center yeah no I don't mean to slate Fittipaldi by that at all because I think he did he did a remarkable job having been thrown in with no experience racing a Formula One car as did Aitken and and the difference why 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 jack really impressed me so much in qualifying is he was about a tenth off latifi with that mistake having not raced that car or spent you know really any time in it that i am personally aware of whereas russell has been racing all year and he did a magnificent job nothing to take away from him but if you can come from out of the sport and into the sport and instantly be on pace well then like you're a kobayashi as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah, I agree. And just one tiny more thing on that. Um, the Williams car has been seen is probably not a very easy car to drive. I mean, it's a bit better this year, but again, that just is more impressive for Jack Aiton. It's not jumped into something that's going to be on rails. It's something that is tricky and the drivers have been fighting with All right. I think it's about time we moved on to the race. And um, what a race. I think... It's fair to say, Matt, this was one of one of the what well, in any other season, this is one of the most enjoyable races of the season. This season, apart from the championship runaway at the front, we have been treated to so many fantastic races, especially towards, you know, the middle and end of, of the season. But yeah, what a race. Yeah, if, if I'm being honest, half an hour before the show, I was in tears because Pirelli had yet to put up their pit stop summary. And it's just so complicated. So much depends on so much depends on every other thread being connected or pulled or cut by the scissors of fortune. And wow, just what a result. I mean, there was not, a, I, I, I was sitting there and, and my timing screen is far ahead of my video. 
I'm sitting there looking at my timing screen, watching the race, and all of a sudden I'm like going, wait, what happened? What is going on? What in... I had no idea. I could just see it in the numbers. And then when I saw the video, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the wildest thing I have ever in my life seen. So as is custom on Missed Apex podcast, what we do is we split the race up into three segments for how the race was won and lost. And uh, looking at the notes, Matt, I think you have summarized it perfectly. We, we had an amazing start that put things in context with a bit of drama. We had the medium section where we thought it was all going to be about the battle between Bottas and Russell. And then we had everything post safety car. So I'll leave it to you, my friend. Tell me, where was the race won and lost? Well, we have to start at the start. I mean, there's some crucial things about the start. We had the Mercedes on the medium tires. They were the only of the top 10 to get through on the medium tires. Everybody else was on the softs. We had, crucially, I think P11 to about P14 or 15, also on the medium tire. But in between, we had this sandwich of soft tire runners. And you're thinking, this doesn't really matter, but it does later on, trust me. (laughs) And then we have just the chaos of the start itself. We had Botas, again, with a not entirely superb start. Yes. We had Russell. By the time we get to turn one, in the lead, which I know sent many, many British hearts <laughs> aflutter and probably others around yeah, the world. But even more importantly than that, we had Verstappen stuck in between the two and Perez just wailing around the outside <laughs> as they start the run down to turn four. OK, look, let, let, let's turn to Kyle for a second. From a racing point of view, that start was wheel to wheel racing competition tactical positioning and race craft all in just this beautiful crescendo and had it had it just settled into positions and carried on it might well have been forgotten however because of the coming together you know we get to kind of focus in on it but oh my god i mean apart from russell getting away at the start we had bottas scrambling desperately which kind of caused the backlog into the 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 top midfield if you like um but first of all any insight onto why Russell was saying that he didn't understand the start and the launch systems? Because clearly he'd got a handle on it. It was more a bad start from Bottas, but it was it was a solid start from Russell. Yeah, it was a very good start from Russell on the dirty side as well. Incredible. But he True. he was just panic. Well, he wasn't panicking on the radio. He was just wanting to make absolutely sure. I mean, most of the drivers in their normal cars, their systems are second nature and instinct. They know where the switches is probably switches are probably don't even need to look in the in the Merc as we've heard it several times during the weekend he's having to ask on the radio uh, how do I do that where's <laughs> yeah. that switch what do I do and he doesn't know so he's just asking them again and again and again and he must have just absolutely nailed that start from the dead side of the grid that's the start anybody would have been proud of did you catch uh, at the end of qualifying um so for the first time I've been using the F1 timing app since it since it came up it's brilliant it's a couple of quid a month it's completely worth it my boy is glued to it we only just discovered that the mobile app version is different and better and that you can Way have better. it's better it's so much better i mean you can Way have better. you can have jack and jolian on there for the commentary which i do do uh, for the uh, practice sessions but for the qualifying in the race I, I need it to match up to what's being shown on tv it's the only reason i don't but all the team radio comes through as well and it's glorious and you get um, not only segments but you get uh, you get mini segments as well so during qualifying absolute game changer you can see 
not only is he doing well, but oh, he started that sector off well. He's green. Now he's purple. Now he's green. Oh my gosh. He is about to go and get pole. This is amazing. So um, yeah, highly recommend that um, as a bit of a balance to a couple of years ago when we were slating it pretty heavily when it first came out. Um, but uh, I've, I've forgotten why I started talking about the app, if I'm honest. We were talking about <laughs> the radio and, and, oh, that's it. Yeah, and right, George Russell's so launch. After, and well, no, after qualifying, after qualifying uh, we heard on the team radio uh, them saying, okay, well done, George, good effort. Um, if you could just select mode zero, etc. And George's like, yep, great. Where's that? And, and, you know, even at the end of qualifying, he didn't know those things. And I'm sure I've heard that. Oh, select P0 a lot. Uh, Capehead. Christian Pedersen. There was a point uh, in the first third of the race where there was a radio from Russell saying, power, I have no power. And no one really explained what was going on, but apparently that was at the, around the start of the race. So does someone have some insight, Matt? It's when well, he came. I'll go Kyle. I know it was when he came out after his pit stop, the first pit stop, and I think he must have still been in some sort of pit stop engine mode. Maybe Matt okay. can put me out of my misery. To my memory, which is, of course as you all know, perfect and never wrong on any point ever. I believe it wound up being a sensor issue that was cleared by uh, changing a setting, an HPP setting. Okay, but he didn't lose any time. I mean, it was just He was setting fast laps when I heard the radio call. So I I think, and there's also the fact that it's only four braking zones and it is a pit stop and there is a state of charge that has to be maintained. So the in and out of the pit stops uh, will change the dynamic of the car and its performance uh, because of how it will use and use up the battery more than it would in a normal race, um, in a normal race lap, for example. Carl, let's pick up where we were then. We were talking about George Russell's start. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant launch. Uh, was brave on the brakes as well because it'd been all weekend we'd seen on the data that it actually, and actually good, a AWS uh, data graphic saying that he'd been earlier on the brakes into turn one than Bottas all weekend. Uh, he held his nerve. He didn't lock up. He didn't go wide. It was brilliant. What we did see was Bottas really under pressure and some mm. lightning quick reactions for Max Verstappen. Bottas got a massive tank slapper on. Max had to check up, which meant everyone behind him checked up. And I believe the incident that happened at turn three, four down there um, at turn four mm. was a result of Ultimately, the root cause was Bottas getting squirrely coming out of turn two and getting it all wrong. So um, it was a hectic start. And also in that, we had our very own Lando Norris going mm. from 19th up to 10th or 9th. No, and that was that was after the second safety car. He, he got up to, to ninth oh, very, very quickly. Yeah, no, still very impressive. But Matt, to pick Kyle up a little bit, it, it wasn't the, the fact that Verstappen made everyone check up that was quite the issue. It was the fact that he checked up and Perez and... The clerk didn't. They smelt blood. They were like sharks hunting down the straight. Yeah, well, uh, Verstappen was in that very unenviable position of trying to get round Bottas, watching Russell disappear up the road, and knowing that he's already got Perez outside him. So he can't go to the other side of Bottas because he's already overlapping. He can't go to the outsides because Perez is already overlapping him. And that's how they were. And, and he thinks to himself, and full credit to Max, he thinks to himself, oh, you know what? I'm not just going to keep it floored through here. I'm going to be clever. I'm going to lift off, back out, wait for the inevitable carnage, and take advantage of that. And, you know, in any other universe, 
I mean, what are the what are the odds that Max Verstappen would make a decision like that and wind up being taken out of the race by his amazingly even more hot headed young blood brother, Leclerc? Well, about which he was not the least bit happy, by the way. It sounds like what you're asking me is. Whose fault is Whose it? Whose fault is it? On this Apex podcast, we don't believe in racing incidents. No, no, no. We don't solve the problem. We don't move forward in a constructive manner. We don't live in a no-blame situation like Mercedes. No, we echo my terrible, terrible toxic marriage where we must assign blame. We must point score. So we are looking at the incident in which Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc came together and took out Max Verstappen eventually as well. This led to the detriment of good racing, it must be said, to the, the retirement of Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. Max Verstappen, a genuine race contender, I believe. We'll go into that more. Charles Leclerc, maybe not so much. And sending Sergio Perez heroically, not that I know your bias, sending him heroically to the back of the grid for, for what could be a mon- monumental charge. To the top of the podium. But, Christian Pedersen, I must ask you, whose fault was it? I think actually the blame is uh, is pointed officially as well now. He, he did get a penalty, didn't he? No, 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 no. You're, no, no. Sorry, Christian, I've got to stop you there. Charles Leclerc. Not is, the way it works. He's immune from penalties, unfortunately, <laughs> so you must be mistaken. Has, is that official? He's got a penalty now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Three okay, place yeah. grid drop. There you go. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'll just follow the official rules. It's the easiest path, isn't it? <laughs> no, <laughs> I that, think that... It, it was his fault. He, he was, uh, he was uh, too aggressive. But I was just going to point out that what Matt just said about uh, Max just backing off. Uh, unusual, but uh, mature move, which is, I think, is the Good way point. forward for Max Verstappen. And uh, it was a shame he was getting caught in that uh, t- uh, turn four accident because... If Leclerc and uh, Verstappen would have finished this race, it would have been maybe 25, 30% more exciting. Yeah, maybe. But Christian, did you hear the interview with Max Verstappen (laughs) during the race where he was going, I I can't believe I'm not going to do a Dutch accent. No, I'm not going to do it. Try. I should do it. No, I should do it. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, But he was there going, I can't believe the aggression of these guys. They're crazy. And the whole (laughs) internet just went, dude, what? But I mean, if, the way he acted in that situation, that is the proper reaction to that because he was actually the unaggressive this uh, time around. So maybe he's right to have that opinion just this one single time. <laughs> yeah, we can give him that. But also, I think that may be the last time we ever, ever see that from Max Verstappen. He goes, well, I've played it nice and sensible and gentle and look what happened. Yep, sod them. I'm I'm going to go my own way from here on in. Uh, my opinion about the Leclerc crash um, yeah, I'd say that's 80% on Leclerc and 20% on on Perez for sweeping in. But again, I can't, I don't think you can blame Sergio. He's seeing his mirrors full of cars on either side. He did leave some space on the inside. And if Leclerc hadn't locked, locked up his inside front wheel, it may have just been okay. But he was on a trajectory to, to completely miss the corner. Wait a second. When Lance Stroll did this at Portimao 17 times <laughs> over the course of practice and and the race he, he cut in on the inside of Verstappen then on the inside with, with sorry with Norris on the inside we all said it's Stroll's fault for just diving into the corner uh Christian why is this different this was lab one 
during the race. What uh, what Stroll did was, I think, one time during practice, right? And uh, one time just overtaking Nor- Norris during the race, which there was lots of room. He could have done a lot of other different things. Here it's turn four. It's lab one. You're Leclerc. I mean, you want to go past Perez. Uh, Kyle, why, why, are we, why are we forgiving Perez when we didn't forgive Stroll? Well, we kind of are forgiving Perez, I think. Um, you said twenty percent, yeah. Were, and I was were trying not to be angry about you saying so twenty. Was during the race, but the actual this incident, there was an awful lot going on around him. He did actually leave some space, and it was Leclerc steaming in there, um, being super aggressive for the second weekend on the row. I may, I may add, he really upset Vettel last weekend by doing the same thing, sure. and he did this in Austria as well. I'm, I'm going to say it again, he went full PlayStation. That's exactly what he did, <laughs> um, Matt. Well, you might have a better argument um, were it not for the massive cloud of smoke pluming off of Leclerc's wheel as he had it, as he headed directly to and through the apex. And, and this is, this is, and this is what Max pointed to afterwards. And, and let's be clear, when we talk about whose fault is it, we're talking about Perez and Leclerc coming together. Max drove into a wall all on his own. Now, hang on. Did he, Kyle? What ha- I, I really missed that. What happened with Max? Yeah, well, the more I see it, the more I think Max is actually being caught out by the gravel trap being the exact same colour as the tarmac. Because yes. if you look on Max's onboard, he would, I think he would have actually made it. If he hadn't booted the throttle thinking mm. it was a tarmac, he would have been okay, but he didn't. He floored the throttle and then all of a sudden hit what was gravel. I didn't the exact same color as a tarmac and straight in the wall i think if he hadn't hit that throttle he would have been okay i nearly mentioned this last week and it wasn't about the color the thing i had noticed last week was the gravel was quite compacted compared to normal gravel so we cut we saw cars going on the gravel but being able to drive out of it and i don't think i quite realized the color match and is it really plausible that a driver might not quite realize it or over the last two weeks, they've gone, ah, the Bahraini gravel is not like European gravel where you get beached, Kyle. It's kind of like, oh, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin. Not, <laughs> not, I'll take it. I'll not, take it. Not all Danish people are called Kevin. Christian, what do you think? <laughs> I think that the track actually has a little quest there, right? Uh, so you, uh, I'm not sure you can actually see it, especially when you're in a Formula One car and you're not, uh, you're not normally out there. So uh, you wouldn't have noticed it being gravel at any point of going around the track would be my suggestion. I actually uh, saw it and I thought, oh, that was a bit silly, Max. But then I saw his onboard and I couldn't differentiate between the gravel and the tarmac. It really, really looked identical. So I don't think we can blame him there. It's almost like that that tarmac that was the drag drag race start in Hockenheim. The asphalt looked the same, but it was completely different. And if you put your wheels on it, you were toast. And and that's exactly what happened to him. And to be clear, the only reason he was there um, is because uh, uh, because Leclerc was just spearing off right in front of him, and he was he, again doing the mature, I'm going to win me a world championship one day kind of thinking that you would begin to expect at this point in his career. Like, I'm going to avoid the stupidity. But he did, I think he really did get just caught out by not knowing that the surface change was right where it was. And then once he was on it, there was nothing he could do. There is a valid reason for him punching the throttle other than trying to like minimize his loss it was also he had a spinning car on his inside and a potential another damaged car so he knows they're going in a straight line straight off the track so that's probably why he's given it a squirt to try and get around them 
before they wipe him out further. For completeness, a lot of the chat room is not buying that. Uh, Vermins is saying, uh, oh, come on. That, no, sorry, that's a uh, McDeLorean. Come on. Saying he didn't know it was gravel was just silly. Uh, Vermins says, as a driver at the pinnacle of motorsport, he should know it was it was gravel. So, I don't think everyone is quite uh, buying that excuse. Kyle? I've got a little thing on this, and this used to be one of uh, Michael Schumacher's strengths, was going to check out the outside of all the gravel tracks and seeing where the escape roads were. And he did it a few times in races, like two that spring to mind in 98 in Argentina and Hungary, where he fell off the road, knew there was a service road on the outside, booted it to the outside and saved himself by having knowledge of the gravel traps. But in this one, such a unique circuit, so much going on, I think we can let Max off that. Fair enough. Um, We're still then uh, in the series, uh, the part of the show that is the segment of where the race is won and lost, Matt. So I think we've established the start and that incident unfortunately robbed us of Verstappen's challenge. It robbed us of Leclerc's challenge in in, in a way. I can't help feeling that he outqualified himself a little bit, like he did well in qualifying and would have, uh, by his own admission, perhaps gone further down the field. And Initially, of course, we thought it robbed us of Perez as well. So we settle into the race with Bottas versus Russell. Yeah, and, and, and just to finish up, to be the slightest bit nitpicky, the safety car giveth and the safety car taketh away. And the safety car absolutely gave Perez a second life in this race. I want to be clear about that because he did come out at the back worst but he was on the medium tire, which was now the preferred starting tire. And because it was the start of the race, he was glued to the back of the pack. He wasn't 30 seconds back as a normal pit stop under those circumstances would cause you to be. Something, 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 Perez taken out. Something, something started at the back. Something, something. That's all I heard. Started at the back. Kyle. Yes, it was fortunate that it was a safety car in that sense so he could essentially restart his race albeit from the back but he put the moves in he he made no no um no second questions about passing anybody he was very decisive and quickly Mm -hmm. and decisively cut through the field and that's what that's what put him in a position to capitalize now not to skip past what kyle is saying what kyle is saying is valid however i want to split one and lost into two parts and then finish it off with the with the the post the final uh, safety car so the, the the second part will be how did Perez knock on et al put themselves in the situation to take advantage of I am not blind here what was a race of attrition no one is suggesting that Perez and Racing Point beat Mercedes and and Verstappen on on pure pace we're not doing that we acknowledge it's on attrition, but he had to put himself in that position. So did Ocon. The first part of the, the race, Matt, it, it looked like it was between George Russell and Valtteri Bottas. And I want to look at the battle between those two. It settled in very quickly uh, and the lap times were consistently around two seconds. They would occasionally go to 1.5. It went as far as maybe 2.5, 2.8 before the first pit stop. Suddenly they were going longer and longer and longer. It was plan A plus uh, 425 laps so it was clear that tire wear wasn't a major issue here they could make their mediums extend but it was very interesting to see Bottas essentially holding station George Russell on the radio going oh by the way I could, I could go faster I could go faster I'm sure at that point both of them could have gone faster on ultimate pace the team at that point would probably dictating where they should be with not what lap times they should do but they're saying right aim for lap X. 
No, nah, they, they have a Delta time. They drive to that Delta time. They they can occasionally exceed it. Sometimes they are slower. And then the team gets on the uh, the radio and tells them if there's issues. What was interesting about this is that, yes, you're correct. After the safety car, we had a reset, and it turned into the kind of race we thought it would be. The two Mercedes were much quicker than Sainz, who at that point was holding everybody up in third place on the soft tires. And what you really had was a soft tire sandwich. You had the two Mercedes at the front on the medium tire. They could go very long. You had everybody else behind on the soft tire. And then behind them, you had, starting with Ocon and going back to Perez, you had pretty much everybody on a medium tire, uh, with Norris maybe being the only exception. And he was the first one to really suffer. And he suffered because he was in traffic. And it was Raikkonen who came out first and went on the hard tire. And as soon as the times on the hard tire were seen, then the pit stops for the soft tire people began. And what was immediately apparent to the engineers, and this matters for the end of the race, was that the undercut was absolutely powerful. Okay, Kyle, um, Matt is ruining the Perez episode with tire talk. Just rescue us for a moment. I was going to do some more tire talk. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Carry on. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say that middle stint with um, George and Bottas, that was where I genuinely thought I was like, right, now we're going to see the difference between somebody who's been in the car all year and somebody who's only been in the car this weekend. And it's how to drive to that prescribed limit and not take the energy out of the tires. Mm. And with Bottas starting to sit there, and I was like, right, Bottas, this is Bottas's chance to do to do a Hamilton yeah, man. on George Russell. And that's exactly what he was going for. And But he couldn't. George had it absolutely under control. And that's what I was amazed by. And, and to be clear, by, by do a Hamilton, what you mean is stalk from about two seconds back, preserve your tyres, yeah. and then attack towards the end of the, the first stint. Uh, I'm not sure that execution uh, was possible for Bottas today, but it was interesting that you had the same thought as me, Carl. Trumpets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and this is what everyone thought. But what I'm going to argue, what you really saw was just how terrible the Mercedes is in any kind of traffic at all for an extended period of time. And especially with only four braking zones to renew your battery, um, the amount of time he lost, and and, and everyone was like, oh, he's had a lockup, he's had a lockup, he's had another lockup. All of those lockups are because Russell was taking clean air off of his front wing and completely messing up his braking points that he had learned when he was running in qualifying and in clean air, had the positions been reversed, I think you would have seen a similar ish, not similar, not exactly the same, but I think you would have seen a similar ish struggle with Russell, where both has really got himself into trouble was just at the dead start, not being in the clean air where he could run things the way he liked. Christian, I'm going to challenge that slightly because <laughs> we've seen Hamilton do this time and time again. And we've seen that Hamilton can stalk, stalk, stalk. And then when he sees the chance to pounce, he can deal with the aero wash going over his front wing for enough time to get past. Um, but I, so, so Matt's saying the premise that if it was the other way around, we would have seen the same thing. I, I'm scared that this is a Bottas trait that, that he can't attack in aero when other cars can attack in aero wash. I totally agree with uh, with Matt's uh, theory, or the, it's actually facts because these cars are just not built to follow each other. But uh, there's difference in drivers, and uh, I I hate to be the one always uh, going on about Bottas and uh, how he's he, he he shouldn't be in that seat when you see things like this because I remember one point in this race, and that is Russell. 
I know he has newer tires and stuff, but he overtakes Bottas in turn eight, which is album did it as well. And I love albums overtaking things, just a finesse thing. When Russell can do this on, yes, granted, newer tires, but that's just aggression. That's I'm going to get past, and I don't see that in Bottas. If he had that, he would have uh, caught up to um, to Russell. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Kyle, it's um, we, we can't yeah. underplay that enough. What, the, the situation Christian's talking about, Bottas did have old tires, and that was a mistake. He should not have had that. That's no fault of his own. However, it's been a very common criticism of Bottas that he is not aggressive enough wheel to wheel. Yeah, uh, Bottas appears sometimes to to suffer from the second Red Bull syndrome and not been able to cut through the field. Um, and this, yes, he was on bad tyres, but look what happened to Russell. Yes, we know the Merck isn't great in in traffic, but every time he was in traffic, he was clear, decisive, made the moves immediately, didn't hang about. He just got on with it and was aggressive. It was very, very, very pleasing to see. Now, if Bottas was in that same situation, would we have seen the same? I'm beginning to doubt that we would have. So I'm going to put up a bit of a case for the defence for Bottas, Matt, because um, obviously it, it's fairly standard, even with Hamilton, to sit there two to three seconds behind. Because Hamilton's never worried about being in second place, really. Not at the beginning of the race. He never seems upset after qualifying if he's not on pole. Modern F1, and by modern F1, I mean like modern, modern F1. Like the last few years, like post-Rosberg, really in Formula 1, being on pole position hasn't been the same detriment that it has been in previous eras. You can overtake. And Lewis Hamilton knows that he can get through a first stint, survive that first stint with better tyres, have a different advantage. He can undercut, he can overcut, he's got, he's, he's got the choice. You know, Formula One isn't that sport anywhere anymore where you must be on pole. So in Bottas's slight defence, he was holding station through stint one. That is pretty standard practice for any top team. His, his, go- his goal would have been in stint two to try and catch up. He he disastrously stayed out for several laps and the gap went from three seconds to, I don't know, a minute or whatever. But in that second stint, let's give Bottas some credit. He was clawing that gap back with virtual safety cars and all from about nine seconds to about four and a half seconds. He halved that deficit in the second stint. Bottas is not a mug. For all his flaws, he's not a mug. He knows how to drive an F1 car. Yeah, I 100% agree. And the thing that we've seen with Lewis that that we didn't see this time around with, with Valtteri is that he will often make a charge at the end of the first stint. Yeah. And I'm even going to put it out there in his defense that we might not have seen it because even though they know there's a target lap they're driving to, I think that target was floating quite a lot in the minds of the Mercedes strategists depending upon what was happening in the race. Because really what they were telling their drivers is, we want you to get a pit stop ahead. Now that Verstappen's out of the race, we want you to really try and get a pit stop ahead so we can get you in and out and you don't have to deal with any other traffic. And I was baffled. And I don't know if it was a a Botas call or if it was a Mercedes call to leave him out on track longer. But pitting Russell first and letting him go this, what, three or so extra laps just showed you how powerful that undercut really was. And that's going to matter for who wound up on the podium later on in the show. 
Carl Powers is about to make a uh, Carl Power, beg your pardon, is about to make a fantastic point, but I'm testing his broadcasting skills by distracting him with a slight segue and promo, asking you listeners to do us a favor. And if you are watching on YouTube, could you? It's a cliche, but it helps. Could you like? Could you subscribe this video? Every single video, we get like 30 thumbs downs. And that, that's sport. That's fine. There's guys going, ooh, they're Hamilton fans. Ooh, they're Ockham fans. Ooh, they're Paris fans. Whatever. Yeah, that's great. So come on, help us counteract that by giving us a thumbs up. Subscribe to our YouTube channel because we are so close to 10,000 subscribers. And that would be a massive, massive victory for a podcast like ours. If you are an audio-only listener, in the show notes, we include uh, a link to the show. And if you could share that on your social media, whether you've got five followers, whether you've got a thousand followers, uh, tag us or, or, or name us or at us or whatever it is, and we will share, we'll retweet that. Every little bit helps to spread the word for what I believe, and other independent F1 podcasts can challenge me on this, what I believe is the most downloaded, most watched independent Formula One podcast in existence ever. I'm going to make that claim and let people counteract us. Now, Kyle, uh, I've distracted yeah. you enough. What was your original point? So my original point was uh, at the end, they left um, at the end of the first stint. So they left Bottas out. He went an extra four laps um, and was hemorrhaging time, yeah, basically. Bad. It was interesting before they pitted Russell. They kept saying, we need to extend. We don't want people in our pit windows. So trying to get that clear air. And then I think they gave the they gave the floor over to Bottas because it's time for your hammer time now. It's Bottie time, you know. Botty time. Let's go. No, no, let's Kyle. Go. No, no, um, no, Kyle. R- so, roll that back. You didn't say that. <laughs> so, so yeah. So his it's his time to shine, and he didn't. So he was three seconds back from Russell when Russell pitted. He was eight and a half seconds back once he came out. But I I agree with the point you made earlier. He was starting to make inroads mm. in that second stint, and he did have a four lap overlap on tire life. So it without the extra VCs and the VSCs and all of the shenanigans that happened later in the race, it would have been really interesting to see him close up and start to apply pressure. Okay, we would have done. Matt, I know we've got a specific shoulda, woulda, coulda segment coming up, but this is kind of like the first candidate for, for shoulda, coulda, woulda. If there's no safety car, what woulda happened in that battle? My, my suspicion is Bottas closes the gap and Russell has enough to hold him off, but they, they cross the line line astern russell wins bottas second that would be the most uh, probabilistically correct scenario in the sense that uh even in the lap which we're about to discuss lap 62 where aitken had his little misadventure um or right around there we saw valdry set fast lap which has got nothing to do with russell's power loss coming out of the pit those of you in the chat who have been suggesting that that was the primary motivation. Uh, Valtteri was definitely coming. And the reason he was going faster is because, as I may have mentioned earlier on this very show, being eight seconds back, he no longer had dirty air to contend with and could actually drive the Mercedes as fast as he was capable of driving it. And the difference between Valtteri and Lewis, which you aptly pointed out earlier, is this exact ability Lewis has to preserve those tires that little extra bit mm. when he's in second and then use it up at just the right moment to put pressure, but save enough so that he can still keep going fast after. That was the only difference we saw between Lewis and Valtteri today. 
now, now uh, Christian, not a complete surprise, is it, Kevin? That, um, that because when we saw in free practice two, free practice three, the race runs, uh, everyone was calling, including AWS. Uh, everyone was calling, so we know it's true, uh, was calling that the race pace was strongest with Verstappen, um, uh, and then I think it was Albon, and then Bottas, and then um, and then Russell. So it's not a huge surprise that as we settle into a harder tyre race run, that Bottas was going to start reeling him in. But I think, as you pointed out earlier, the real test would have been once they got on track wheel to wheel. And I don't think anyone has any confidence that Bottas would have overcome that. Again, I think you have to, to take into account that uh, Bottas knows his car. He knows the buttons. He knows the movements. <laughs> he knows the signals it sends. Uh, all this is brand new for Russell, and he's in a race condition. So he's maybe 45 minutes into a race. Everything hurts. And at this point, they get the radio message that they have to look out for the track route on the left front uh, going through 8-9, where they you actually have a small dip with first your left front tire, then your right tire hits a curb. Uh, and when you get that message and you're in a new car, um, I'm no Formula 1 driver, but I would imagine that puts you off the spot just a tiny bit. And uh, also you have to think about a Bottas catching you up. And all these things combined, mm. I did not see... Butters doing his utmost to to win today's race. I was very, very impressed with uh, George Russell. So coulda, woulda, shoulda, George Russell wins this race. But driver Definitely. of the day, uh, Aitken, <laughs> pulls the safety car. It was Aitken, wasn't it, who in the Williams wrecked George Russell's car uh, as it happens. Yep. With, with It looks like a perfectly understandable last corner snap. We've seen quite a few cars doing that last corner snap. And actually quite unlucky just to ding his front wing. Yeah, well, basically he did an album in practice, but I just need to point out that he did it while there was no safety car on track, unlike certain other people who have driven that car in the recent past. Okay, yes, okay, okay. <laughs> Jeez. And, so it's a mistake yeah. that can be made yeah, yeah, yeah. by an eager young driver. That's all I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, but this brings out a virtual safety car and very rapidly a full safety car. And this late safety car changes everything because at this point what had happened and now i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna have to step back a little bit if you'll permit me mm -hmm. what happened was we had all of the soft tire runners pitting out from in front of the medium tire runners in the midfield and this left uh ocon and perez and stroll stroll on the soft tire in that order and you're sitting there going when stroll going to pit when stroll going to pit when stroll going to pit 40 laps on the soft tire mm -hmm. reno pits ocon Undercut Stroll. The following lap, Stroll comes in, gets out ahead of Ocon, but Ocon on his fully warmed up hard tire, important for later, gets in front of Stroll. And Racing Point then brings Perez in um, and puts him on another set of mediums because he started on the soft tire. So he's now got a tire advantage over Ocon. And on the same tires as Stroll, and with a little bit of fiddle-faddle, winds up behind Stroll, behind Ocon, as we go into this safety car. And behind them, you have a whole bunch of two-stoppers on much fresher tires who were further back. But now the safety car has jammed everything up, and that's where we are. Yeah. Um, so 
an honourable mention for Stroll, actually. He's getting to lap 40 or 41 yeah. on the soft tyres. And he wasn't exactly holding a huge train behind him. There were, it was kind of a bit of a DRS train, but he was. they were sitting one and a half seconds behind, but he wasn't dropping off the cliff on pace either. He was, he, he was, he was holding that really, really well. No, it's interesting to note on Ocon's team radio, which they played over the F1 app, they had the, about a lap before he came in, they said, let's put some pressure on Stroll. But that was about the same time we heard Stroll say, oh, my tires have come back to me. I think I'm mm. okay. But Renault, having looked at what happened to Ricardo, said, oh, no, the smart here, the smart move here, and it may have been his pit window backwards. I didn't have a chance to look at it. They said the smart move, the smart play here is undercut Stroll. All right, let's get to the meat of this. Okay, we're getting very close to the Perez bit of the podcast, okay? And I'm hearing a lot of talk about, ah, Stroll did good. Stroll did 43 laps on the soft tyre. Good. You've learned from Checo. Good lad. Good on you. But I have to inform you that I was watching a couple of gaps throughout the race. One was uh, Russell versus Bottas. The other one was Perez's progress through the field. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed this, I don't know if anyone was paying attention, but Sergio Perez won the Grand Prix today. Sergio Perez won the actual Grand Prix today, by the way. He was like, out of 20 cars, he finished first. So he beat all 19 people. How did he do this? How did he get through the field? Well, I wasn't watching a potential Sergio Perez win. I was watching uh, a Sergio Perez recovery drive. Very early on, when he came out on the medium tyres it was clear that he was going faster than that midfield battle. Now, let's, be, let's, be, let's put this in context. That midfield battle was incredible. From signs all the way down to where Perez found himself after the safety car was very close. Perez very quickly got to 13th position, by the way, Carl. And the gap was, you know, it was only like a couple of seconds back between each car. And I was watching the gap between Stroll and Perez because I thought my biggest perez Fossi victory of today was going to be, oh, well, he got shunted to the back of the grid. But look, he caught up with Stroll and overtook him. Yeah, and it was a great graphic example of what happens when you take like some of the top guys out. And we had almost a full grid of, of the epic midfield battle, but it was right at the front. It was fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, um, just like you, I was also keeping a, a BDI on uh, Perez's, Perez's progress through through the field. And I genuinely thought, when by the time of the first sort of um, VSC or no, the second one, it was come out, come out, sorry. Um, I genuinely thought he could get on the podium and I was really willing him on to, cause I may or may yeah. not had a little wager on him to get a podium <laughs> today. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very awesome. He had the pace and he had also to note, they were obviously running very low downforce. So he had awesome straight line speed. So he had the ability to overtake cars and mm. boy, did he use it. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, Albon was sitting there really complaining saying, look, we're faster. We're faster than Perez, but we're not as as racy and 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 that generally means like we don't have that speed down the straight to get into the overtaking zone so not only could Perez get past Albon but also he could defend even though Albon was quicker but I mean I mean Matt like if I'm gonna gloat for a little while about why (laughs) and I love sorry did I make a laughing noise in my microphone that was entirely an accident don't think I missed that you were saying Ocan could have totally won had only something something blah 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 right I, that didn't pass me by but look let's have a look at Perez's race because he came all the way from the back I know I'm a big proponent of saying Ocon is great I'm sorry of saying Perez is great thank don't, you don't edit that so that it looks the other way around right but Perez 
he had to make decisive overtakes at crucial times. He got past Vettel with no fuss. He got past Vettel, partly because of the, you know, the, the aero differences that we were talking about. But he also decisively got past Ocon. And I think, actually, most importantly, he had his own teammate in front of him. Stroll defended reasonably hard. It will go back to Kyle for the racing element of it. The overtake on on Stroll was absolutely crucial because he wasn't even really making a serious overtake. He used his experience to show his nose to Stroll, and Stroll just—I'm going to get—I'm going to get abused that I'm a Stroll hater, but Stroll panicked, locked up, went wide. Kyle first, then Matt. Yeah, he somewhat scared Stroll off the track, but I thought that was a pretty bad own goal from Racing Point as well, not to immediately swap the drivers over. But of course you can't maybe when Daddy Stroll is running the team. But uh, I was surprised at how hard Stroll was fighting him. No need to fight that hard. You're just going to damage both of your races. And he did in the end. He ended up flat spotting his tyres and ended up up costing. Yes, he got a podium, but he, he made it a bit more difficult for himself than he needed to by fighting his teammates so hard. Christian? Um, the, the the turn four five overtakes during the race was just beautiful all along, and uh, we talked about this in the Magello podcast as well, where I was guesting. And uh, the the elevation tracks, the old school type of tracks, where you have a fast track, uh, normally the the corner four uh, turns into almost a small hairpin, but now it flows more. It has elevation. You can actually drive the corner and you can overtake in the corner. And that just makes the races greater because the drivers are getting better. And I just love that overtake on lap 56 by, by, by Perez. But I just want to add, um, if you, if you use a, like soccer or football metaphor for, for drivers, mm-hmm. uh, Perez is like a Pirlo or a Luka Modric or some, someone you, any team can use this guy. I mean, there's no team that wouldn't have the need for Sergio Perez because he's got it all. Perez, it's, Perez, uh, right? I'll tell you this, right? Perez is skulls. I don't know. Sorry to the Americans. He's skulls. He's a box-to-box <laughs> midfielder. He is a work engine, Kyle. He's a work engine. I'd say if Perez was a condiment, he'd be salt. He just, he just works everywhere, doesn't exactly. he? Exactly. If it's not working for you, add salt, Christian. Just add salt. <laughs> uh, Matt. So not that I remember things for a long time and then go back to them to annoy you. Uh But I will point out that Perez was not the only one who made crucial overtakes to ensure his place on the podium, that our friend Ocon also did this. Okay. And he did it in such a fashion that even Sky mentioned it on their broadcast. So it's not just me standing him a little bit. But what I want to get, what I really want to talk about is you're all talking about Perez's genius overtake on Stroll, which is a lovely thing. Yeah, let's continue. His inevitable overtake on Ocon with a faster car and better tires. Better which, racing, yeah. To be fair, yeah. Ocon was not stupid about it, and neither was Perez. Sure. But where it all really went wrong for Stroll was right at the safety car restart when, in the midst of warming his tires, he just about drove flat into the back of Ocon. Yes. Because he was so busy warming his tires, oh he didn't realize that Perez had slowed down, and so had Esteban. Mm-hmm. And he rocked up pretty massively to avoid hitting him. And at that point, I think he'd, he toasted his tires. I think he was done at that very point. The, the, the best of those tires was gone. And it was always going to be a Perez masterclass from that point. Kyle, uh, f- from this restart, I suddenly, before when it went um, safety car ending this lap, I went, I don't think Perez has ever led a safety car restart. 
No, I don't think he, he did. We saw the same. I had the same with George Russell. I'm not, well, how are they going to handle this then? This is a completely new um, a new boat to be in. But with the Perez thing and the stroll, I don't think Perez was ready to go. He then saw all the commotion <laughs> in his mirrors behind and was like, oh, this is a good time. And yeah. just sort of went. I don't think he was planning. He was going to let them all catch up and then mm. catch him out again. But it was like, well, they've just caught themselves out. See ya. I, I think you <laughs> might be right. I think you might be right that he had that sort of, uh, you know, opportunist moment there and Stroll was treating that restart in the same way that he might treat a restart from Bottas or Verstappen or Hamilton the, the, the drivers have become used to such a limited range of drivers leading up that restart that it's almost become you know ubiquitous Matt they were expecting Skype or Zoom and then suddenly they got a, a Discord restart yeah pretty much and, and just to be clear yeah Perez was leading the race at that point I realize the way I talked about it may have led to some uh, confusion. So, yeah, Perez was in the lead at that point because he had already passed the both of them um, after the virtual safety. Was it the virtual safety car that happened prior? See, I get lost in the race now because I don't have enough time to write all my notes up the way I I like. You're kind of old as well. This is the virtual safety car, I think. And Mm. and it's not got nothing to do with the whiskey at all, I promise. (laughs) but the reason that Perez was reading the re was leading the race at that point was because Mercedes had done the unthinkable. Oh my goodness! Yes. Oh my goodness! Which we should probably mention before we run into the end of our Imperial Metric Hour. That is really only an hour, and we never go beyond. No, but an hour is the correct time for a race review podcast, and and I would be very very upset if we run over that time limit. So let's not do it. But um, Mercedes often have this dilemma between do we take the safety pit stop where we cover ourselves off with good tyres because as it so often happens, they do have a full pit window, Kyle. On this occasion, they decided to, to do a... This was the conservative option. Mercedes are not a team renowned for messing up pit stops. Ferrari are so bad at pit stops that Martin Brundle... Didn't even mention Vettel's 4.5 second pit stop. He said a typically pedestrian pit stop or something like that. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, a normal, casual, everyday Ferrari pit stop. Red Bull, yeah. they're amazing. Red Bull, to me, seem like a, a team in the pit stops that are like all or nothing. And and so often it's all, but every now and then they get, you know, the Monaco with the, the Red Bull. But, but I, I think with Red Bull, they go for the absolute limit perfection. I don't think Mercedes are like a all or bust team so how did they get this so wrong kyle right well to start with i don't think it was that much of a conservative safety stop as such because as we saw after the restart with bartas with the same tires on was a bit of a sitting duck so i do believe it was the right decision to pit them and put fresh tires on wait wait sitting duck to who was sitting duck to who um the rest of the field on really? old tyres. So Bottas came out because he left the same tyres on. So he did a stop as if he hadn't have changed the tyres. So they would have been at the head of the field and Bottas couldn't make his way through the field and actually ended up going a bit backwards. So, on so, the restart. Two, two seconds. But, sorry, Carl. Do you think that Perez, uh, sorry, that, that Bottas would have been vulnerable to Perez, Ocon, Stroll, et al.? Is that what you're, you're uh, saying? Both the Mercedes, yes. If they would have stayed okay. out, they would have been on old tyres. Mm. Some of the people would have risked it. Everyone else would have probably pitted and and tried it on. So that's why Mercedes pitted them start with, because it's like, we're going to be really vulnerable. We need to put some fresh tires on because that's what everyone else is going to do. They were the first in the queue. 
Mercedes said, we have a we have enough time to get you in and out ahead of everybody else. So we're going to put on the tires to forestall the eventuality that they might choose to pit and put on new tires. But I don't see anybody. I don't I sure don't see Renault. I don't see Racing Point. Maybe if I was Racing Point, I might bring Stroll in if he felt like it. Give him new tires. The only people who were really going to try and take advantage of the full safety car were the, were the two stoppers to get even better tires because they were stuck behind the one stoppers. And what killed Mercedes, um, and, and I, I did see in the information that I, I previewed before the show that it wound up there was some kind of radio issue between the pit wall and the mechanics that may have been responsible for the wrong set of tires. But essentially, as you said, they put Botas medium tires onto Russell's car. Oh. God. realized it when they were halfway through changing the tires on Botas car, took the tires back off, put his old tires on, oh which ruined God. the rest of his race. He was done for. Yeah, and and it took that, so yeah. long, his brakes literally caught fire in the pit lane. That happened. Like, literally, they caught his brakes on fire in the pit lane. Mm-hmm. It was so bad. And then they were due a penalty, so they had to bring Russell back in. So now Russell, having already lost positions, uh, so so Russell had lost all these positions uh, and, and was actually out behind Botas as we're headed towards the safety car, the, the, the restart that we're about to talk about. Okay, so uh, Christian, as far as I'm concerned here, Botas is now out of the race. He has been so disadvantaged by, as Kyle showed us and demonstrated for us, why they had to pit, uh, Botas essentially not only didn't get the benefit of the pit stop, he also lost all the track position of a pit stop. So worst case scenario, and his brakes were on fire. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
He just, I mean, he just can't catch a break, uh, Bottas. <laughs> He's in the leading team. But why is this always happening to Bottas? And I mean, this is literally, this cannot be his fault no. at, in no. any way. Uh, but still, uh, if he were he were to have pitted first, it would have been Russell on, on uh, uh, different tires. But yeah, I mean, I have nothing to say about that because I think it's just so it's sad, basically. Yes, it was sad. Okay, so here's my summary of Bottas's race overall: is that he got off the line badly, so we'll attribute that to him. That's his fault. He followed Russell, which was normal. He got into the second stint, looked to be uh, closing the gap down to Russell. However, after that pit stop, I am not blaming Bottas for anything else, Matt. None of that, none of the being overtaken by Russell, none of the not being able to overtake Stroll, none of that was his fault. The rest of the field was on good tyres. He was completely boned by that point. As far as I'm concerned, post-safety car, Bottas is exempt from judgment. Yeah, and because of that, Bottas is exempt from judgment. We never got to see the battle royale we were anticipating. We got to see something else, which is also pretty cool, but we never got to see that battle royale. And uh, Tobias in the chat is mentioning that um, it was uh, they thought that Botas was coming in first because they weren't the, oh. the crew wasn't aware of the track position, <laughs> and apparently George radioed in, and they didn't hear that it was actually George coming in first because the announcements crossed, and that's why he wound up with the wrong tires on his car, which uh, you know there's a, a future disaster prevention unit inside the engineering at Mercedes that will be all over it. Yeah. And, and it, but, was, but, it was, it was yeah. savage. And you could hear that Toto Wolff was, was really hurt by that as well, Christian. It's an uncharacteristic Mercedes error. Definitely. And this will, uh, this will, this will also shake things up this weekend. Uh, the Russell experience and everything going on in the team, Hamilton having COVID. And I think this will shake up the team, and and they need this shake. <laughs> yeah, maybe you need this shake once in a once in a once in a while. But uh, can I just add one thing sure. in regards to the pit stops? Someone on Reddit put up a graph where they uh, this genius guy. I love these kinds of kinds of uh, Reddit comments. He put the the pit times uh, during the entire season in a graph, and it just shows you how brilliant Red Bull is. Uh, mm. That blue line is just yeah, they go for it, man. Almost horizontal. Yeah, it's beautiful. Red Bull absolutely go for it uh, with the pit stops, and that is from training, that is from dedication, and um, and, and it's absolutely incredible. And, and let's be fair, Mercedes are also a slick pit stop operation. This sounds like it was down to a, a genuine, just one of those horrible things that you can't plan for, but you learn from them and you move forward. The first two pit stops was uh, 2.4 seconds. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Which is, it's no time at all. Now, Kyle... Can you imagine the situation I was in after this pit stop? There was there mm. was too many laps left to go while Perez could simply hold it. Too many laps left. It was over 20, wasn't it? And, uh, I, I, you know, people were messaging me predictably saying, how are you feeling? And I was saying, I'm not okay. I'm not <laughs> okay. So Bottas, he's a sitting duck. Russell dispatches him skillfully, very well. Very well indeed. Very skillfully. Past Stroll, past Ocon. And that gap to Perez, it actually, cruelly, as far as I was concerned at the time, stayed at three seconds for an inordinately long amount of time. Then it stayed at 2.5 seconds for too long. And I thought, <clears> this is it. 
this is it. Russell is going to go and win, which I would be happy about, by the way. Um, but from a Perez fanboy point of view, I was like, he can't hold it. He just, there's no way he can't hold it. It was looking like a formality to me yeah. that Russell would eventually get Perez. And the reason why that gap held, he'd probably just been spamming his overtake button and using all of his ERS to get the overtakes done. Yeah. Once he got into clear air, he probably had a lap or two as a bit of ah. recharge and not been able to deploy. So <laughs> that's why the right. gap stagnated, get some more battery charge. Then it yes. started to come back down again. So I'd imagine I pretty much figured that was what was going on at the time. And how bad is it for George? Like, um, I... I may have also had a little wager on George to win. So I was also <laughs> wanting that to happen. But for George to prove himself, Mercedes have given him the perfect film script to be to be the hero, have a mid-thing mid wobble, come back, be the hero again. But then there was a nasty sting in the tail. And it's like they've recorded the perfect film for him and forgot to press record <laughs> after he's done all of that and, and, and took it away. But I was thinking of you, um, sweating, <laughs> squirming as, as, as he was hunting Perez down. But I genuinely think it would have been a bit of a foregone conclusion. I think he would have sailed past. So for me, uh, a Russell win would have been a, a really re- reasonable win. Um, but but Checo winning after a decade is indescribable from a sports pan, fan point of view. So, yes, I, I, was, I was not hoping for Russell to have misfortune. But when it happened, oh, my goodness. I was looking for no, no. I was not happy. I was stressed. I, I, I um, I, I. Firstly, I was thinking about my neighbours. I was thinking about my wife. So my wife was looking at me, and I said, "I am not going to cheer loudly. The volume will be quiet if he wins. Okay, the volume will be quiet, but I will be quietly loud." Is what I said. And if he loses somehow, my angst will be loud, but the volume will be low. I will be quietly loud and. <laughs> And about 10 laps from the end, I grabbed my lad and I looked at him and went, it's happening, it's happening. And I quietly, I shook him. You should never shake a child. But I shook little tree face. And he he said, Dad, why are you shaking me? I said, because I think Perez is going to win a race. Uh, So I'm not, not, I wasn't wishing uh, Russell ill at all, but I think it is completely fair, Kyle. Uh, You know, and I'm talking to a lot of our friends, you know, I'm talking to Danny Henney, I'm talking to Johnny Elliott, I'm talking to a lot of the Hamilton haters out there. I think it's entirely fair to say that Hamilton definitely wouldn't have got a puncher in that situation, which proves that that only Lewis Hamilton could possibly have won in that Mercedes today. Uh, Christian, I'm sure from a Danish point of view, uh, you can see that my British bias doesn't come into this at all, but Hamilton definitely would have won today. As you can tell, I'm very Danish biased uh, as well. So I would consider that normal. Let me just add, uh, I just saw on Twitter that uh, Mercedes is fined £20,000 for the mm. time mix-up. Yes. Well, it was... It oh, was that's a, all. Yeah. It was a bad mix-up, to be fair. And I, I, I think I have to clarify that I was j- joking. It was heartbreaking, Kyle. Heartbreaking for Russell. He was going to win that race. Without that puncher, George Russell wins his first Grand Prix today. Horrible. Just horrible. Horrible, horrible luck. Uh, disgusting luck. Um, and he would, and he wouldn't have just won it if if he'd have won it without the safety cars and just dominated Bottas the way he did. Then it would have been amazing. The fact that he almost had it taken away from him and then almost regained it again was even more amazing. And then the puncture. So, in my eyes, he can have his head held very, very high. But, but yeah, you could see in his interviews at the end he was more disappointed than he was over what good he's done. And at last, we get to the one place where I think if you're going to talk about Botas, and I know it's been mentioned earlier, 
But to me, everything I said in defense of Botas is absolutely true in terms of his ability as a driver and his worth to a team. But when it comes down to it, I think back to the junior formula and this YouTube excerpt I saw of Ricardo fighting Botas and winding up with the win. And Russell has something in combat on track that I just do not see in Valtteri. And it's not that he's not willing to try. And it's not that he's not going to continue to get better. It's just Russell has an instinct for it. And I think for Botas, it's a learned thing and he'll never be quite as good at it as a result. It seems like he may be having perpetual bridesmaid syndrome. Like he did not expect him to be second fiddle today to his teammate. You really expected him to stamp his authority all over that. And the fact that that didn't happen. Yes, he was very unlucky and it made it and he made to look a lot worse than the situation actually was. But yeah, it's I don't think we can defend Bottas too hard here. Um, genuinely, it was a bit a shocking weekend from him all in all. And if you take everything into consideration from a fan point of view, not just a Sergio Perez fan point of view, from a pan, uh, from a fan point of view, this was an absolutely incredible piece of television to watch. And I'm, I'm glad we can share our review with all you guys. But of course, I would be remiss uh, to say anything other than I am absolutely delighted. Ten years on the road of watching Sergio Perez. I I I feel like his genius for tyre management in, let's not forget, an era of Formula One where tyre management is absolutely key. So let's not just say oh, he only gets good results because of tyre management. Lewis Hamilton gets a fair bit of his amazing results because of tyre management. We saw him dominate bar 2016, and we can have that argument if we want. We saw him change a paradigm of F1 with Nico Rosberg, where winning pole on Saturday was the most important thing. Lewis Hamilton made tyre management important or you could argue that he capitalized on Pirelli making tire management important. Nico Rosberg won the first ever qualifying trophy for qualifying positions. Lewis Hamilton never seems worried if he's not on pole because you can make the tires work to your advantage in a race and having watched Formula One since 1996 Christian I can tell you that I have never seen a Formula One era where qualifying matters Less. We are in a golden era of Formula One. But what is going on in Hamilton's head right now? <laughs> That's after fair. seeing today's race. Yeah. We haven't talked about that. And, uh, and uh, he will probably just say things like, well, congratulations to George. He did of an amazing course. job. And I look forward to seeing him in a car, blah, blah, blah. But if <laughs> I was Lewis Hamilton watching that and uh, knowing how competitive everyone is, he might be in the car opposite to him next year. Actually. Next year. Wait, why? Yep, I mean, hey, whoa, 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 wait, no, okay. next year. If you turn it around, let's let's try and turn it around. How will the entire paddock react to Toto Wolf next week? So, Mr. Wolf, you have this uh, young guy, he's uh, you're his manager, he's a Mercedes driver, he's faster than Bottas. Uh why not put him in the car next year? Then the board will say the same to him. Uh, the garage will have this feeling. It will be hurtful for Bottas, and, but it will hurt his uh, ego as well. All those things will do something 
Oh, Christian Pedersen, <laughs> Mr. Oh, I'm on TV. I don't even need to be on Twitter. You can follow my Instagram account, but it's weird. And I'm not even going to share the details with you. Uh, oh, it's easy for you to say, uh, but I challenge you on this. Valtteri Bottas has a contract for next season. Lewis Hamilton doesn't. Why is it going to be Bottas who loses out? Why not Hamilton who loses out? After all, have we not just seen, have we not just seen Mercedes take a one-two? Have we not just seen Mercedes out at the front for the majority of the race, barring a mishap? What is the incentive to keep paying Lewis Hamilton $40 million a year? I want to say two things about it. There's... Uh, it's always easy to just pinpoint small things, but if you look at the bigger picture, and I'm I'm fairly certain that Toto Wolf is the master of looking at the bigger picture, then you know where you have to put your money. I mean, and, and where should you? It's uh, on Russell, of course, and a contract in Formula One. It's not even worth the paper it's written on. Basically, it's always been like that. Contracts are for renewal or renegotiation or to be torn up or whatever. I've said this a couple of times before and a while ago. And if I was a uh, Mr. Horner and Dietrich Masterchitz, I'd be yeah. trying to poach Mr. Russell. I said this last year or the year before, because not only are you getting a fantastic driver, which has now been proven in a top car, you are hurting your opposition's future as well. It's a win-win, yeah. no-brainer. So <laughs> I would be straight on the phone trying to poach him immediately. Scott Burns in the chat makes the most excellent point. that The last time Mercedes went to Williams and said, we'd like George Williams next year, please. It was the Williams family that said no. Mm. I guess who no longer owns Williams. Oh, wait, I know this one. The Williams family, they no longer own Williams. That's correct. It's owned by a venture capital firm instead. Mm. And they might have a different approach to how much money they can extract from Mercedes for the future services of one George Russell Esquire. Viking, you say things now. And who would be the perfect development driver for the new Williams team? The ex-Williams driver with lots of <laughs> mileages in his legs. Valtteri. Valtteri I mean, Walter. I see that happening very vividly in front of my face. I, I can see it happen, but, you know, you never know. So uh, something I shared with uh, the uh, audience with Joe uh, participants, the live audience with Joe participants. So, uh, you know, Anyone in journalism will eventually attract people who are willing to talk to them. And here at Missed Apex Podcast, you know, it's not Toto Wolf. Toto Wolf is not phoning us. Andreas Seidel is not phoning us. But we do have people from the teams. You know, we're really lucky. We have people from the teams who listen to our show and who who love the idle gossip, Matt. Wait, you're not in that WhatsApp chat? Oh, sorry, never mind. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. But look, so we get a, a reading from the ground. We can put our ear to the ground a little not not as well as like the likes of Matthew Carter or Joe Saywood, both of which who definitely know more than they tell us. And they delight in teasing us as well, don't they, Matt? Oh, yeah. They, they do love to lord it over us that they might know a yeah. few more people in the sport than we do. Um, so, but, but I have to say from our network, which is reasonable now after seven, eight seasons of, of covering Formula One, we have got this drumbeat of it's going to be Perez at Red Bull, but it's not confirmed. And we, we know there's outstanding circumstances. But the one thing I've got, Matt, the one thing I've had mm-hmm. from this year is that there is a will from Red Bull not only to retain Albon, if at all possible, there has been a will, a desire, there has been contacts, it has been feasible to sign Sergio Perez. So both 
opportunity, but both outcomes, Perez or Albon, seem like legitimate options, and they kind of both seem like they could both still happen. So basically, we've got Schrodinger's yeah F one seat. Sure, yeah, but it's, it's like no. I, I the only conclusion I can come to right now is it genuinely hasn't been decided yet. Perez, according to Joe Sayward, has conversations with Williams that could lead to a 2022 seat. And he seems to be talking very confidently about having a 2022 seat. The the last outstanding issue seems to be whether it will be Albon or Perez at Red Bull. It looks like the Alpha, um, hang on, which one is it? Alpha Tauri seat is going to be taken by Sonoda now that he's got super license points, Christian. Didn't Paris put out some signals in an interview with, uh, I think it was the Dutch media or maybe it was Mexican media, that uh, he indicated sort of uh, that Red Bull had already taken the de- made the decision, but he wasn't allowed to tell anymore. Yeah. But it wasn't positive for his point of view. Oh, okay, okay, so that's fine. I think, I... Uh, well, maybe I'm uh, exaggerating a bit. Fine, Carl. Yeah, on that. So on the Red Bull and the Albon thing, we haven't bashed Albon too much today um that oh we, well, well, we is, should correct that immediately exact, shouldn't we yeah oh yeah exactly i'm gonna correct that immediately um this is this is where this is where red bull needed album to step up mercedes have dropped the ball max is out uh it's like an open goal and where was album he yeah. was nowhere again yeah, and it's six yeah yeah so his p6 in a red bull that could arguably have won the race and the, the guy who you're Umaring about signing has gone and won it in an inferior mm. car. I mean, if you don't need objective evidence <laughs> right in front of you, it is it is there. And I actually wrote in my notes, I think that's just sealed the deal for Perez to get the Red Bull drive in my eyes. Mm. I can't see how they how how a logic argument against putting Perez in the car, to be honest. Okay, it was a good overtake as well. Here's what I'll say. Final thing that I will say now, Matt, is yep. it could go either way. I think yeah. retaining Albon is the controversial decision over signing Sergio Perez. I could be on board with that because what I'm going to tell our friend Kyle and what I think you already know is that the only reason we haven't had an announcement yet, I think, is because behind the scenes there are commercial interests that need to be negotiated. And that on that, everything really hangs at this point. Good. And I know the whole F1 community is hanging on our every word to find out who we are giving our missed Apex awards to. Well, wait no longer, because that's a lie. You have to wait 30 seconds longer, where I say to you, thank you to everyone who responded to our plea for, and it is a plea, to Patreon support. We had a fantastic reaction to the words I strung together last week. I struggled to find why you should ever put your hand in your pocket and contribute to a podcast that you can get for free that will be free forever. The argument I used last week was, if all podcasts suddenly became 33 cents an episode, would you keep downloading Missed Apex podcast? Well, if you would, good news, because you can download, uh, you can sign up to Patreon and sign up at the lowest tier, which is $1.99, which is 33 cents per episode. We normally do six episodes a month. If you count tech time, I kind of don't, but I guess some people 
kind of like it. 33 cents an episode for our lowest tier. Most people sign up to our $5 tier where you will join our patron Slack group. You will join us on the patron live stream. And I tell you what, the patrons have some influence because I, I had this genius idea. I said, the patron live stream should only be on video. We'll do it as a video. We'll leave it up as a video. All the patrons came on the Slack group and said, no spanners, that's a terrible idea. We like listening to that extra patron stream, audio only because we're in our cars or at work. I changed my mind. I wouldn't do that for my mother. I wouldn't do that for Kyle and his stupid beardless face. I wouldn't do that for for Christian Pedersen and his cult leader Visage or even for Matt Trump. Would you do it for Kevin Pedersen? For Kevin? Yeah, for a Danish Kevin, I would definitely do it. But for our patrons, I listen to you guys. You have a lot of influence on on what we do. Uh, Hopefully, you guys find it valuable to support us. Patreon.com forward slash Mistapex. The link is in the show notes. We we have got this far with your support. Imagine what we could do with more. Hopefully, you won't have to imagine because we'll show you in 2021. But now is the time to give out awards. And the first award is very positive. It's a shiny, fluffy, positive award. Life can't be all unicorns and rainbows, but our thing of the weekend award kind of is. Kyle, it's you. The spotlight's on you. Who is your okay. thing of the weekend? Um, I'm not going to take the obvious one. I will leave that to one of you mighty fine people to, okay. uh, to say Me. that. So my thing Me, yeah. of the weekend is a racing point double podium. I've always been a quite a large fan of theirs. They're the perennial overachievers. Yes, they have more budget now, but when they were Force India before, they were they're the giant killers and both cars yes. on the podium. I think for the first ever time, that is my thing of the weekend. Like, like well done that team. Awesome. Lawrence Stroll made a really, really good point. He made a couple of bad points, which I'm gonna say later. But he made a really, really good point, which is he did not buy a bad team. He bought a, a team which is habitually has outperformed, outgunned, and before Racing Point took over, people were more than happy to say that Force India were pound for pound, dollar for dollar, dollar for point, the best team in Formula One. That that was non-controversial. So hands up, uh, thumbs up to Lawrence Stroll for pointing that out. Uh, Christian Pedersen. I, I honestly, I nearly did say, I nearly did say Kevin again. Uh, Christian. Can, can, oh, people, can people, mine, can, mine, if sorry? people want to stalk you, do they have to go to Copenhagen? Really? Can you not set up a social media account so Mr. Apex podcast listeners can interact with you in some way? Or, I'll tell you we, what, join our patron mm-hmm. Slack group. I'd do that. And I could do maybe for, no, we'll talk about the all right, all right thing afterwards. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> so my my thing of the week is um, when I watch Formula One, uh, I, I look to the personalities and I look at the movements, how people react, how they are towards each other and oh, try to yeah. learn about the personalities. And I dig getting to know people or trying to get some insight. And one one person who's always fascinated me from a positive point of view is uh, Romain Gauchin. Uh And this uh, last race was his was going to be his last race. Uh and so this weekend was basically his last in Formula One. And the way everyone just came together around uh, Roman Gauchin, the way they talked about the accident last week, he just, he just, he, he got a send off that was so lovely, yeah. so heartfelt. And uh, I just appreciated that a lot. And I think, uh, yeah, that was just nice. So, yes, of course, the Formula One community gave him a good send off. His, his last race yeah. would have been at Abu Dhabi. 
um, if he was able to get his hands and everything sorted out. It unfortunately looks like he won't be able to do that. Um, but wonderfully, Mercedes have said, if if you can't race in Abu Dhabi and if none of the teams you've raced for in the past will give you a drive, Christian, they've said you can have a test with us as a farewell. Which is just so lovely and so unneeded. I mean, mm. they didn't have to do that. No. But I just want to add that uh, this whole Grosjean accident has brought some very positive light on uh, Formula One in general. Sure. And uh, it just shows how the paddock works, how everyone is... It's a big family, basically. And uh, it's good for the sport when things like this happen. It's the good and the bad. So I have two entirely different things to say. Like you say, it's a small, it's a family. And you're right. I remember when Williams Garage caught fire in Barcelona and all the teams chipped in to help them out. As much as it's the shark pit, as much as it's the circus, it's also a family. Everybody there is part of a very small group of very elite people who do a very complicated and difficult thing all across the globe. All globe. And having said that, if I'm Mercedes, well, guess who's out of contract? Used to work for a Ferrari team. Is <laughs> known for having incredible development feedback for engineers and also known for being really 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 fast mm. maybe just a good guy to have around i mean yeah. i know it's just a it's just a send-off and mercedes is making is it's that great corporate pr that they're dragging in but if i'm total wolf i'm like on the other hand he might not be a bad guy to have in my back pocket this is why we love trumpets kyle i was gonna say that mercedes even though a lot of people are a bit annoyed of them winning all the time. They do seem to be somewhat the good guys in the paddock. They the first words that come out of Toto Wolf's um Toto, Toto. Jesus Wolf's Toto. Toto, not Toto. Why do I do this every time? This is why everyone Toto hates you. <laughs> Toto Wolf's mouth when when he's doing the Sky F1 interview afterwards was the first things was congratulations and how it's great for the sport. And he was like, I'm not just saying this for for sort of brownie points, it's great for the sport. And now they go in and offer Grosjean a, a drive. They they're good guys, and they and they genuinely seem to look out for what's best in in the sport. They seem like the good the good guys in the paddock. Yeah, not like stupid Matt Trumpets, who seems like a good guy, good, good good guy, but is in fact a smiling assassin. Save me, guys! It's getting late here. Trumpets, who is your thing of the weekend? And I know I can't say Perez on the podium for his first win ever because that's what you're about to say. Don't so you that's dare. Yours. How dare you do I can't do it. say Ocon for his first ever podium in Formula One because I'm a could. fan and that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And I am technically at least a journalist twice. <laughs> or did I ever tell you the time I got FIA accreditation at a thingy? Yes, Matt, all the time. Not that I want to harp on that, but you know what I will say? Mm-hmm. I will say the first time in my memory that we've had a podium that featured neither a Ferrari, a Red Bull, or a Mercedes. Yeah, because Monza had Leclerc. Did he? Yep. yep. Okay, good. Yep. I'm yep. going to give... Just... My... Shut up, it's my turn. Shut up. It's my thing Fine. of the weekend. Fine. <laughs> my thing of the weekend goes to Sergio Perez being really brilliant. And by the way, like just the, the emotion as he came over the line. He cried. Ocon cried as he came over the line. Neither of those moments um, set me off or got me in trouble with my wife. The moment where he jumped onto his Racing Point crew and you could tell how much his Racing Point crew loved him and adored him and were feeling 
every single moment for him in, co- in contrast to Ocon's crew that were like, nice one, mate. But y- you could just see it. You could feel it. Those didn't set me off. And I had promised my wife, I said, it's over. It's fine. I, I have resisted shouting and yelling. The neighbours won't hate us. But then when he got on the podium and give it two arms in the air he, and, and give it his like, yes, you could see that emotion coming through. That's when I got in trouble from the wife. I was very emotional. I, a decade of following Sergio Perez came out all in one go. And then the second time he was just sat on the podium with his trophy, with his head in his hands, and, and then suddenly aware that the, the world's cameras were on him and just did this brilliant kind of fist pump in the air while sat down on the top step. That is my, that's my thing of the weekend. All right. And it looks like I've got a year without Sergio Perez so that you don't have to tolerate this for another year. Trumpets, then Kyle. Okay, fine. So the chat room has pointed out that Monza was actually Gasly, Stroll, and Signs. Fine. He's a Ferrari driver. Technically, Mm. aside from that, I'm totally correct. Okay. Apart from. I'm just going to go with No, Signs is technically a Ferrari driver. So you're okay, Uh, Kyle. Okay, good enough. So none of us actually mentioned it. I thought one of the obvious ones, apart from Perez, was. I just want to put a second honourable one in here was George Russell doing oh, yeah, an incredible yeah, no. job all yeah. weekend. Like we yeah, kind of yeah, forgot yeah, about of that. Course, we yeah. can't let thing of the week go without mentioning George Russell. Uh, Christian, we did mention George Russell a fair bit. I just want to mention Kevin Magnuson. Why? That, I mean, now is the only time I can put in the name. <laughs> okay, fine. And, and it's nothing in particular. It's just he's just, just brilliant. Isn't isn't he? the Danish guy. It's his second last race. <laughs> Give me a break here. Fair enough. Uh, but we do have to move on to the next award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. This is the bad thing, Ward. We know we're not uh, we're not racers. We know in our hearts that our iRacing and karting experience doesn't give us any right to judge these racers or team managers. But we're going to do it anyway. Kyle Power, who missed the apex for you? Uh, Mr. Bottas, I'm afraid. Yeah. I think um, his... He got comprehensively spanked, didn't he, really, in the grand scheme of things when you look at it by a a a teammate that that shouldn't have beaten him. It didn't yes, there were some mm. there were some um circumstances around that, but Bottas hasn't come out of this smelling of roses. No, but I will defend him. I, I think uh, n- no, he didn't stamp his dominance on on Russell, but he was quicker through practice. He was quicker in qualifying he out qualified him he was on pole position and during the race aside from being scrappy wheel to wheel pace to pace race pace i think he was still good he's obviously just missing that x factor in a race i think i think this was unlucky i think if you put stroll uh, sorry bottas and this current version of george russell together for a five race period i feel like bottas would still come out on top overall but over the course of a season, if Russell was to replace Hamilton, I think we'd be looking at a George Russell World Championship contender. So is that fair? That's fair, Kyle. I think it's fair enough, if not a little tenuous in the defence of Bottas. Ah, um, I'll try it, uh, I'll try it, I'll try it. Uh, yeah, Russell shouldn't have been anywhere near him. Fair. Bottas okay, should, yes. like, should have been out there. He should okay. have had the whole Kyle. thing under control. Kyle. It wasn't Hamilton that, that skipped this weekend due to COVID. It was Bottas. How does it look? Ooh, ooh. How does it look? Um, uh, I would have said it would have been Hamilton probably winning. <laughs> it would have been Hamilton in George's seat and George B 
being mm-hmm. being a bit of a bottas but i think it would have been close and i really want to see it um but i think lewis probably would have got on top because he has those tire management skills i think george would have been extremely close but i think lewis definitely would have come out on top i think but I there's too, no yeah. way that bottas mm-hmm. should have been behind george I in think, any session i think oh, here's what i think i think russell looked good against bottas i think russell would have looked even better against hamilton even if he didn't triumph but uh, you can only beat the teammate that's in front of you. And I think um, Russell's done enough to show he's good. Christian, who missed the apex for you? So in Q3, uh, Charles Leclerc did a lap and an amazing lap. So amazing that he just got out of the car and that's it, guys. I can't do better than that. And I like, <laughs> I love that. It's just a boss move. And I want that for the Ferrari driver. But then you can't do that in turn three or turn four. Yeah, I mean, that's bad. just uh, uh, those two things combined just doesn't work. So that's my nothing of the week. Missed Apex Award. Matt Trumpets, who missed the Apex for you? Well, I was going to say Leclerc. And especially because even just last week, his teammate told his team to tell him that, dude, you've pulled that move on me once. You've pulled that move on me twice. You should stop pulling that move before it leads to trouble. Mm-hmm. And he, that was the exact same move we saw today. And so, I, yeah. um, hopefully experience, <laughs> hopefully burning one's hand in the flame will be more than being told not to stick one's hand flame in the, the hand in the flame the first time. Uh, it's too, that's too third person for me. Sorry, I cannot manage it this late in the podcast. I think we followed it. Look, there's look, no Close one's enough. no one's accusing anyone of having drunk too much stout and JD. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. We're fair all enough. friends it- here. We're all friends here. I'm going to give my missed Apex Award to uh, the Stroll Inc. Um, Sergio Perez, the guy who you are kicking out of the team, uh, won the race. Won the race brilliantly with a magnificent performance, charging his way through the field, making up the deficit to Lance Stroll before any of the safety car shenanigans or anything like that. Have a bit of humility, for goodness sake. For goodness sake, have a bit of humility and just say, Checo smashed it today. Well done, Sergio Perez. Instead, it was, oh, Lawrence Stroll. Sergio uh, was lucky because uh, Lance was unlucky in the pit stop. He lost out in the pit stop. No, 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 no. The world was watching. We have timing screens. We know Perez came from the back of the grid and caught the whole field up, including Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll was never, ever going to hold Perez off today. Don't sit there and say, oh, I could have won, but for the safety car, but for the tyres, it was a poor excuse. Let the man have his day. You've already, you've already taken his job. Just, just let him have it. Okay, fine. Is there any pony awards to be had? Okay. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Kyle Power. It's following on from what you were just saying, and it was going to be for Lance Stroll and his interview immediately afterwards and his quite visible sort of dejection. And he comes straight out with, he should have come straight out with, this is amazing. How great is this for a team? Well done, Sergio. And it was, no, I could have won, but then I made a mistake, but then I did this and then this happened and then this happened. Oh yeah, it's a good thing for the team, but he visibly looks quite annoyed that the fact that his teammate had won and it it didn't give off a good impression to me. I would have won, but except for these bad gloves. It was the bad gloves. What's hilarious to me is that, you know, the thought is my teammate's in a racing point. I'm in a racing point. My teammate won in a racing point. Therefore, I should have won in a racing point. Entirely overlooking. And now it's not his fault that Renault undercut him. But it kind of is his fault that he came out ahead of Ocon and wound up behind him. 
And it is 100% his fault that he massively locked up and gave himself no chance to get around Okan and chase down his own teammate in a suitably matched car. Well, I do appreciate... Uh, 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 no, I don't like when people act like that, but you have to have that to be a racing driver. And I, I, I actually appreciate Stroll coming out like that, being, I should have won, because that's how a driver should feel, even though it, it's not really very charming, to be honest. Okay, I do have a separate pony, though. Okay, quick. And it's someone we've only talked about a little bit. It's Albin on the radio saying his car is unraceable. Mm. I just like, and I, the thing is, I understand what he meant, but that was just a bad way to say it. Mr. Trumpets, whilst I appreciate your stewardship of our final award, which is comment of the week, I am going to, on this occasion, because we have run very long, I'm going to ask you to simply give us the winner of this week's comment of the week. And this is the award we give to our live chat room who keep us company and keep our adrenaline so high that I can barely go to bed before 2am on a Sunday night. Matt, tell us the winner. I will do that. Can I read out the names of the people who donated to us in the chat? Of course. Thank you. Nickname my Danielson555, we79 at least twice, Eric Davis, Justin Acevedo, Mark Malloy twice, Bob Fry and Ayoriana. Legends. Along with Martin Winance and Cormac. More Mexican Mar- dollars uh, tonight than normal. Um, and yeah, thank you all very, very much. And oh, for the winner. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, gosh. Because I don't get to read any of them out and rely on your judgment. No, you choose. I'm going to have to go with Lydia Cruz. One word. Botchass. Botchas, explain the like joke botch. to me. Like oh, botch it? Oh no, that's really cruel. Botas did not have the rub of the green today. I I won't have that. However, I did say you okay, could choose. Fine. No, therefore, no. You, I said you could choose. Therefore, that is comment of the week. Guys, it's already been a long race review. What an exciting season we've had so far. We're going to be here on Tuesday with Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus CEO. We're going to have loads to say there. Me and Matt will pick up a lot of the topics that we've not been able to uh, to pick up today. But thank you very much to our panel, the fantastic TV man and Matthew McConaughey, lookalike Christian Pedersen. All right, all right? All right, all right, all right. Okay, that was worth the wait. We've got uh, BBC Radio Cambridgeshire so F1 subject matter expert at Kyle Power F1 on Twitter. Kyle Power, thank you for your time, sir. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Had a great time. And we've got, of course, my friend uh, at MattPT55 on Twitter. You can email him as well as me as well by uh, emailing Matt at PT, Matt, no, MattPT55 at gmail.com. That'll get you through to him. And also, he always asks that we promote his wife's books. And you can follow that on Twitter at A Weaver Right. So thank you for following Matt to Rumpets. He doesn't just be my co-host on Miss Apex Podcast. He also hosts some fantastic tech times with Matthew Summerfield on this feed as well. I would urge you also to follow me at Spanners Ready. I mean, I'm I'm the best one, but you can also follow the show at Mist Apex F1. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex, or you can join a face, 
Facebook group on on Facebook. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on there. I'm Richard Reddy on Facebook because they don't believe that Spanners is a real name. It's such a disrespect to my ancestors. They named me Spanners after my father and my grandfather before me, who were all called Spanners. Curse you, Facebook. But uh, whether you catch us for Matthew Carter next week or whether you wait for our race review uh, for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I would just ask you to work hard, to be kind, and to have fun. This was Missed Apex. So, my second choice, and it was neck and neck, is Vermin's with Checo is the Mexican Highlander. There can be only one. He was also with, apparently, Leclerc means the crash in French, which I kind of thought was hilarious, too. <laughs> Some people were slating you and your Kevins. Oliveri <laughs> said Spanner's errors can be measured in degrees Kevin. Also, Very good. Somebody, That's someone, my said, favorite. someone said hashtag. Someone said hashtag not hashtag not all Danes, and someone followed yeah. up with hashtag not all Kevin's. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.